everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story. This is Chelsea. I'm here with my co-host Ryan, and we have Chris Lossball with us today. We are talking about so many things in the book of Numbers. <laughs> there are so many little stories that I know about. I did not realize they happened back to back to back. Isn't really interesting to me. It's funny when we do some of these readings. Like you have like one reading that's like huge, and it's like, oh, not much happened there. And then you get one that's like, oh, all these stories are literally in like two chapters. Right, it's like so buckle your seatbelts. This might be an hour. Yeah, here we this go. Is, this is not a census episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we are not talking names and numbers. People are dying. Moses strikes the rock. They lift up the bronze snake. They go we into got wars. They got wars. Aaron dies. I mean, all sorts of things are happening. And red heifers. And red, red heifers. heifers. Right. Okay, let's start there. Uh, Chris, tell us more about red heifers. <laughs> yeah, so this is definitely one of the <laughs> most For the obscure. record, Chris was, like, very giddy to talk about this. So, <laughs> yep, my, the geek meter just went off the Richter. Off the Richter. <laughs> The reason I was excited is because I taught this book one time in the Bible school I was working at. And when I finally figured out why is this random thing here, it was it was kind of exciting. So anyway, basically the big problem here, why we've got this special sacrifice that's talked about in Numbers, what chapter was that? Uh, the very first thing we read, Numbers 19, is that they needed to give a special sacrifice, a special thing that could help them deal with the problem of death. Uh From previous readings, we know there's always sacrifices that need to be made. You're unclean when you're at a dead body. But the journey, the part of the journey we're on here is we're about to have a whole lot of dead bodies because the first generation that was wandering in the wilderness, we're getting close to the end of those 40 years of wandering. And there's about a million people that are going to die here in the next little while before they go into the promised land. So what do you do with all this death? How do you deal with it? And so they have this special sacrifice that kind of helps them to deal with it. Uh, It's this random sacrifice of a red heifer. Some of the requirements are different uh, than the sacrifices for sin, but it's a way that multiple people can be made clean kind of on an ongoing basis. And one of the things that makes me giddy about this is that there is even an element of this that is a foreshadow of Christ. That as you look at some of the different things about the sacrifice, it had to be perfect, had to be without blemish. Uh, and really, the problem of death is what is done away with. And so there is there are a number of scholars that see a red heifer as one of the types, one of the many types in the Old Testament pointing towards Christ. So it was kind of a funny thing when I taught this book because I remember going like, oh, we worship God all the time. Like, he's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the <laughs> Lamb of God. We can raise our hands and worship that Jesus is our red heifer. There you go. Saw it coming. Are you, are you writing a worship song? So, you know, it's kind of next. I need to talk to our worship team about uh, Red some... heifer. <laughs> Miracle worker. <laughs> From... No? <laughs> because the problem of death needs to be dealt with. So, praise God, Jesus is our red heifer. <laughs> yes, praise him. Yes. <laughs> So Ryan and, and Chelsea are looking at me like that's what you're excited. About? No, I actually like um, when you talk when you before we turned it on and you talked about like there's about to be a whole generation of dead people. Like I actually I, I never thought of that before. So I love that kind of stuff. It's like oh my gosh because it's right there, but like you don't actually think about it because because we take it like story by story by story, mm-hmm. and it's not like oh like wow all these stories are happening. But when you see God's whole story, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, actually, like it's it's not just a shameless plug. Like it's actually <laughs> valuable to see God's whole story, and and that's why too. I think you talked about like all these wars that are happening, like all these like conquests and stuff. It's actually all part of that whole first generation dying off. It's actually part of the narrative. Yeah. It is. I actually just assumed, really, until today, probably they all just got like old and gray and died. <laughs> I think but, I assume the same thing. Not I true. mean, if you even think back to some of the things we've seen, like there, we've been actually having the dying off of the first generation. Yeah. for quite some time yeah. already. Um, some of them were with Cora, and oh, Cora. oh man, just kind of <laughs> went bye bye. They got auto buried. Yes. <laughs> what else did you see in this passage, Chelsea? <laughs> okay, so next Moses strikes the rock, and the Lord says You're, he's supposed to speak to the rock, right? Yeah, and he strikes he it twice instead. It's so funny because I just am like picturing Moses in this fit of rage, being like, "You dummies, I'm gonna hit this rock!" Boom. <laughs> She does say his direct quote, you listen, you rebel. Uh, so I think I'm using dummies. And I was like, oh, is that the message? I mean, imagine how frustrated <laughs> Moses is by Oh, my gosh. Point. I mean, yeah. you're just reading this like, here this is the PG version of Moses again. <laughs> and, and like I said, before we started recording, Miriam just died. And we know that Moses really loves Miriam because he's... Um, as awful as she's been to him sometimes. <laughs> what sticks out to me yeah, is actually reading, like, chapter by chapter. Like, it was not that long ago that Miriam, and probably in the context of years it was a bit, but, like, Miriam and Aaron actually were just right. very rebellious against Moses. Right. So, I mean, I just, I don't know. Miriam just died. <laughs> the people are complaining again. And, I mean, it's kind of understandable for me that Moses is, like, I mean, probably hitting the rock out of anger more than anything else. Well, the thing is interesting, though, too, if you remember a little bit earlier in this book, God did tell Moses yeah, to strike right. the rock. Yeah, right, at the yeah. very beginning. So we do have that the, the change that happens here that Moses, in some ways, whether he's angry or whether he's relying on old methods right. and old models, he's not obeying God. Right, which is kind of what we can infer it's, with what God says to him the, next. The core thing, right? Like, he, he just didn't actually do what he was supposed to do. Right. He was and supposed to speak to it, but it's like, well, this worked before. Let's see if it can work. Also, in. do you know what I don't want to do when I'm super mad? Like, speak kindly to inanimate objects. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm so angry. Doorknob, stop it. Like, stop. <laughs> so, of course, there's some serious Same. leadership application in here. <laughs> Moving on from Ryan's doorknob. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a great time that's true for us to consider that we always need to, the way Andy Stanley says is we need to be married to our mission, not to our methods. Mm-hmm. And here we have a very clear word of God to Moses to speak to the rock, and he goes back on what worked in the past, however many years ago that was, mm-hmm. and he strikes it again. Right. And so there is disobedience. In some ways, it seems like, well, wasn't this kind of small that you know he didn't get in the promised land because this, at, at his core, he didn't trust God. He didn't take him at his word. Uh, he trusted in his own methods, his own strength. And for whatever reason, this kind of was that tipping point that I think God already knew he wasn't going in, but he's told he's not going in. Plus, they need to have a new leader transition at some point. So at some point, whether it's now, before he gets in the promised land, or eventually when they're in, we have to move to Joshua. He's going to be the next generation's leader. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I can't think of another instance that we've read about where Moses was disobedient. Like... Since his calling. That's a good point. I mean, he's he killed been, the guy. Since his calling. Since his calling. Yeah. I mean, he's been, he's argued with God. He's made excuses. He's um, talked very frankly with the Lord. Well, there was that I little can't... story that was probably one of your favorites, like the bridegroom of blood. <laughs> I, I mean, texted you about that after we did that episode, actually. I mean, that was one time you could say he wasn't obedient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or delayed that. obedience. Sorry <laughs> to bring that up. It's a wild one. <laughs> That is a wild you story. Have no idea oh, what man. we're talking about. Go oh. back and listen to it. Go back to Exodus something. Yeah, you, you don't want to miss that one. 
Oh, Zipporah, she's the best. Okay. <laughs> and then, okay, so Moses strikes the rock. He can't get into the promised land. Edom um, refuses the Israelites' passage, and a couple of different nations refuse the Israelites' passage, and we'll see what happens to Edom later. <laughs> very, and remember, very much later. <laughs> remember, Edom, is the, Edom are the descendants of Esau, Esau, Esau. Mm-hmm. right? So these are like the people's relatives that are talking They're doing about. this to their kin, which yeah. is why God... Later on in the prophets, we see some prophecies specifically directed towards Edom. Right. That God doesn't forget this little slight to their right. their kin. Right. And then poor Aaron. Can you want to talk about Aaron? <laughs> Ryan? Well, I mean, the, the like, Aaron's just talking to God one day. And he's like, <laughs> go up the mountain. You're not coming down, dude. So, I mean, it's like, it's it's pretty wild. Um, but <laughs> Can the, you imagine just like talking to God one day and he's like, this is the day. This is the day. You're going to go there up there. You're not coming down. And it's actually like the, the passage of his role, right? Like it's, it's right. like they're, they're passing on that. We're going to see that happen. A little we have high priest now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, my actual favorite story in this whole thing I know. is the, go ahead. the bronze snake. I, I love the bronze snake. Go, go for it. Uh, okay. So the, so the bronze snake, um, one thing that's really interesting to me is that, uh, the, um, where the people are saying we hate this horrible manna. Um, it's like a little bit of a translation thing where like they translate it in English, like, Oh, we're sick of this food. But in Hebrew, it's actually like, we hate God. It, it's like very direct disobedience that is not for some reason translated huh. that way. Um, so if you think like, wow, they just didn't like the food and God like did this to them. <laughs> All of a sudden there's snakes running around. <laughs> yeah. It's not really what happened. They, they actually were just like furious at God. And so God's like, fine, like here's some snakes. Um, it, it, it's such an interesting story because it's very bizarre. Um, Moses like furiously fashions this bronze snake, sticks it up on the pole. They end up worshiping, worshiping the bronze snake later on, right? Well, they don't worship the snake so much. The, but it is involved in idolatry later, isn't that right? Uh, they, I mean, I think their issue before was just that they were complaining and grumbling. Yeah. So how, how would looking at this idol save them? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think they were actually worshiping. And I think it was, they're actually like... It's redirecting their trust to God that God said, if you look yes. at this, you're going to be saved. But even the image of it here, I mean, we've got some interesting cross-section images here. Yes. I mean, what do we know the snake from most commonly? Way back in the garden. Yeah. So there's this picture even taking us back to that idea of like, this is how sin started. Um, and then the pole, especially the way the pole was fashioned, actually is in the shape of a cross. Yeah. yeah. And so later in the New Testament, we see Jesus referring to this and saying, yeah. they look to this for their rescue, for their deliverance. So yeah. right here in this image, we've, we've kind of got the whole gamut. We've got sin all the way to mm-hmm. restoration. Um, and so it's, yeah, I don't know if they all would have figured that out right as they're running away from snakes. But <laughs> Probably not. the readers- I, I definitely the, would not be focused on that. <laughs> the second generation would have been like, okay, where have we seen a snake before? Yeah. And they would have seen the rescue. They wouldn't have yeah. got the cross part, of course, because yeah. that hadn't happened. But they would have seen, like, this is where we get rescued. And these people are saved just by looking at it. And the, I mean, the parallel is just by believing in Jesus, we're saved. And just after they did something stupid. This is like, what <laughs> wasn't their good works yeah. that got them. It was I'm right. pretty sure this is the story that Jesus uses when he's talking to Nicodemus. It's yep, it's right before so John 3.16. So this is like if you know John 3.16, this is the story that yeah. Jesus actually uses to teach John 3.16. Yep. Um, and if you ever see an ambulance go by, it's actually this image that's on the side of that ambulance. So oh. if you've ever noticed like the I feel like I should know this and I don't know. It's like it's like one of those things. She's like, like married oh, to an yes. to a paramedic yes. or an EMS. <laughs> yeah. So like like I don't actually there's probably a, there's probably a name for that symbol. Oh, probably. Um Dustin like, Mosier, you have Something like, to add to this? Add it to the comments. <laughs> Please. It's super common in the medical field. You'll see that symbol. It's yeah. it's a it's a snake on a pole. Mm-hmm. That's what that's where this comes from. 
or mm-hmm. that's where that comes from. The story. I feel like I should Little did you know today when we started reading about the red heifer, yeah, that there was going to be so much in the significant, passage significant. That points to Jesus. It does point to Jesus. <laughs> Who knew? Hey guys, thanks so much for listening today. Uh, hopefully, you learned something. Like maybe you're going wherever you're headed, thinking about those red heifers or snakes on poles or poor Aaron's last day. I don't know. Which I learned one something. It is. <laughs> but hopefully, you learned something. Uh, we hope you're getting a lot out of this. We are loving going on this journey with you. So we will see you again tomorrow. Bye. Bye. See ya. Numbers 19, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Here is another legal requirement commanded by the Lord. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer, a perfect animal that has no defects and has never been yoked to a plow. Give it to Eleazar the priest, and it will be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Eleazar will take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tabernacle. As Eleazar watches, the heifer must be burned, its hide, meat, blood, and dung. Eleazar the priest must then take a stick of cedar, a hyssop branch, and some scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire where the heifer is burning. Then the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Afterward, he may return to the camp, though he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. The man who burns the animal must also wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and he too will remain unclean until evening. Then someone who is ceremonially clean will gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them in a purified place outside the camp. They will be kept there for the community of Israel to use in the water for the purification ceremony. This ceremony is performed for the removal of sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. This is a permanent law for the people of Israel and any foreigners who live among them. All those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and seventh days with the water of purification. Then they will be purified. If they do not do this on the third and seventh days, they will continue to be unclean even after the seventh day. All those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way defile the Lord's tabernacle, and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. Since the water of purification was not sprinkled on them, their defilement continues. This is the ritual law that applies when someone dies inside a tent. All those who enter that tent and those who were inside when the death occurred will be ceremonially unclean in seven, for seven days. Any open container in the tent that was not covered with a lid is also defiled. And if someone in an open field touches the corpse of someone who was killed with a sword or died a natural death, or if someone touches a human bone or a grave, that person will be defiled for seven days. To remove the defilement, put some of the ashes from the burnt purification offering in a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then someone who is ceremonially clean must take a hyssop branch and dip it into the water. That person must sprinkle the water on the tent, on all the furnishings in the tent, and on the people who are in the tent. Also on the person who touched a human bone or touched someone who was killed or died naturally or touched a grave. On the third and seventh days, the person who is ceremonially clean must sprinkle the water on those who are defiled. Then on the seventh day, the people being cleansed must wash their clothes and bathe themselves, and, on, and that evening they will be cleansed of their defilement. But those who become defiled and do not purify themselves will be cut off from the community, for they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Since the water of purification has not been sprinkled on them, they remain defiled. This is a permanent law for the people. Those who sprinkle the water of purification must afterward wash their clothes, and anyone who then touches the water used for purification will remain defiled until evening. Anything and anyone that a defiled person touches will be ceremonially unclean until evening. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. 
There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die, along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take this staff and assemble the the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not go with them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as Waters of Meribah, which means arguing, because there were, the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and he demonstrated his holiness among them. While Moses was at Kadesh, he sent ambassadors to the king of Edom with this message. This is what your relatives, the people of Israel, say. You know all the hardships we have been through. Our ancestors went down to Egypt, and we lived there a long time. And we and our ancestors were brutally mistreated by the Egyptians. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent an angel who brought us out of Egypt. Now we are camped at Kadesh, a town on the border of your land. Please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road and never leave it until we have passed through your territory. The king of Edom said, Stay out of my land or I will meet you with an army. The Israelites answered, We will stay on the main road. If our livestock drink your water, we will pay for it. Just let us pass through your country. That's all we ask. But the king of Edom replied, Stay out. You may not pass through our lands. With that, he mobilized his army and marched out against them with an imposing force. Because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their country, Israel was forced to turn around. The whole community of Israel left Kadesh and arrived at Mount Hor. There on the border of the land of Eden, Lord, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, The time has come for Aaron to join his ancestors in death. He will not enter the land I am giving the people of Israel, because the two of you rebelled against my instructions concerning the waters at Meribah. Now take Aaron and his son Eleazar up Mount Hor. There he will remove Aaron's priestly garments and put them on Eleazar his son. Aaron will die there and join his ancestors. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. The three of them went up to Mount Hor together as the whole community watched. At the summit, Moses removed his priestly, the priestly garments from Aaron and put them on Eleazar, Aaron's son. Then Aaron died there on top of the mountain, and Moses and Eleazar went back down. When the people realized that Aaron had died, all Israel mourned for him for thirty days. Numbers chapter 21. The Canaanite king of Arid, who lived in the Negev, heard the Israelites were approaching on the road through Atharim. So he attacked the Israelites and took some of them as prisoners. Then the people of Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will hand these people over to us, we will completely destroy all of their towns. The Lord heard the Israelites' request and gave them victory over the Canaanites. The Israelites completely destroyed them and their towns, and the place has been called Hormah ever since. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. We hate this horrible manna. 
So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. The Israelites traveled next to Oboth and camped there. Then they went on to Elah Abrim in the wilderness of the eastern border of Moab. From there, they traveled to the valley of Azerod Brook and set up camp. Then they moved out and camped on the far side of the Arnon River in the wilderness adjacent to the territory of the Amorites. The Arnon is the boundary line between the Moabites and the Amorites. For this reason, the book of the Wars of the Lord speaks of the town of Wahib in the area of Sufa and the ravines of the Arnon River, and the ravines that extend as far as the settlement of Ar on the border of Moab. From there, the Israelites traveled to Beer, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Assemble the people and I will give them water. There the Israelites sang this song, Spring up, O well, yes, sing its praise. Sing of the well which princes dug, which great leaders hollowed out and their scepters and, with their scepters and staffs. Then the Israelites left the wilderness and proceeded on through Matna, Nathio, and Bamoth. And after they went to the valley of Moab, where Pisgah Peak overlooks the wasteland. The Israelites sent ambassadors to King Sinan of the Amorites with this message. Let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road until we have passed through your territory. But King Sihon refused to let them cross his territory. Instead, he mobilized his entire army and attacked Israel in the wilderness, engaging them in battle at Jehaz. But the Israelites slaughtered them with their swords and occupied their land from the Arna River to the Jebok River. They went only as far as the Ammonite border because of the boundary of the Ammonites was fortified. So Israel captured all the towns of the Amorites and settled in them, including the city of Heshbon and the surrounding villages. Heshbon has been the capital of King Sihon of the Amorites. He had defeated a former Moabite king and seized all his lands as far as the Arnon River. Therefore, the ancient poets write, wrote this about him. Come to Heshbon and let it be rebuilt. Let the city of Sihon be restored. A fire flamed forth from Heshbon, a blaze from the city of Sihon. It burned the city of Ar and Moab. It destroyed the rulers of the Arnon Heights. What sorrow awaits you, O people of Moab? You are finished, O worshippers of Shemos. Shemos has left his sons as refugees, his daughters as captives of Sihon, the Amorite king. We have utterly destroyed them from Heshbon to Debon. We have completely wiped them out as far as the Nopha and the Mediba. So the people of Israel occupied the territory of the Amorites. After Moses sent men to explore the Jizr area, they captured all the towns in the region and drove out the Amorites who lived there. Then they turned and marched up the road to Bashan, but King Og of Bashan and all his people attacked them at Edre. The Lord said to Moses, Do not be afraid of him. I have handed him over to you along with all his people and his land. Do the same to him as you did to King Sihon of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon. And Israel killed King Og, his sons, and all his subjects. Not a single survivor remained, and Israel occupied their land. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, it means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, if you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, we would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, you can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you, and if you 
want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.